<laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Robcast. This is Kristen Bell. The K-Cast. Uh, no, I think it's still the Robcast, but I'm hosting, and I <laughs> am interviewing Rob Bell today. And this was your idea. This was my idea. I want to interview you about your first novel. <laughs> um, it's come out online. Two, uh, what, two years ago, we did a free digital version of it. And um, it just came out in hardcover. Yes. So, tell us about the tell us about the process. Like, what was it like publishing your own book? Uh, well, it's, it it's put out by War Books. And Warb <laughs> is W O R B. Work of Rob Bell. Work of Rob Bell. <laughs> I was gonna say I, but it's we. <laughs> right. It's really we. Yeah. We actually just we, made a. We published our first. It's book. like a limited hardcover run just because it's fun to make things I and, could, and it's available today the day this podcast goes up people can get it at the, the site so i could tell it was a fun process for you what was it oh, like yeah, to yeah. Like write a book and then design well you didn't really design it but you well, well that's the really the great story because so two years ago and you were the one two years ago who was like just put it out um You've often been ahead, come to think of it, where you, you just see it and they're like, just, just, just release it, just go there, just do that thing. You've often seen it and well, been I, like, yeah. I've always really liked this novel. It's, oh, that's, it's always because been I'm, really meaningful to me. Like impressing you is still yeah. <laughs> the goal for me. It's still the only thing that matters. If, if you're impressed, I'm like, well, then I did something. Still like a 15-year-old. Trying to impress a girl. Um, so I put it out without a cover two years ago. And I remember saying on the Robcast, like all of you designers, whatever, if you read it and, you're, and you know what the cover should be, design it and put it on Instagram because I'd love to see what it is. And one of the covers, there were tons of them and tons of great ones, ones with lawnmowers and what, like, so there's so many fresh designs but one of the designs just leaped out i was like that's it that's the one that's if i ever if it was ever in hardcover that's it should look like that and so i tracked down the artist and it was a friend of mine from junior high todd luter we went to okamas high school together wow and that <laughs> and that was the one that you were like that's the design yes yeah, shout out to todd um l-u-t-e-r T, Looter T, uh, on Instagram, Todd. So I got to like contact him and was like, hey, um, I love the, the cover that you did. And so then we made it this fall. Um, and I wanted it to be really clean, really almost coffee table-ish. Um, it had to have that just really minimal and the layout had to sort of reflect how the narrative unfolds with all the different voices. So to hold it, yeah, the details to me matter. I, like, it has to be a certain way, and so to hold it and have it be right is just... And then to have it say war books on the spine just makes me laugh really hard. Yeah, well, I noticed <laughs> when um, you first brought home the copies, it was really meaningful to you to, like, hold something... Oh, yeah, for sure. ...where you felt like you created the whole thing. Yeah, 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 and especially when you work with ideas and concepts spiritual teachings are by very nature 
I mean, I'm talking about the materiality of dirt and sweat and blood and food and all of the stuff of life, but nevertheless, my work is so much words that when you can hold it, it's like, uh, yeah, yeah, it sounds very, very exciting. It's more exciting. The, uh, the creative process, even a Robcast episode, coming up with something, taking notes, organizing it, outlining it, structuring it, the creative process to me is more fascinating and rewarding and intoxicating than ever. That's for sure true. I believe that because I watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's talk about the title of your book. Millones cojones. <laughs> and you have to say it like that. A cojones. Um, now, why, why Spanish? Uh, well, you know, I've always had like a fascination with Spanish. Um, you have. Actually, um, when you were in that band, Ton Bundle, in college, your first band. Yeah. When we first met. You, yeah. One of your songs was completely in Spanish. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mis cosas favoritas. Si. <laughs> yeah, I did. I used to sing in Spanish. I I love uh, just words. It's just another whole set of words to work with and sounds. And I don't know where this title, because in the novel, the the characters there there's a the main character of the novel writes a book called Millones Cajones. So this is a book called Millones Cajones about a character who writes a book, and it's a miss understanding of what he thinks is an accurate rending of an English phrase into Spanish. So hopefully it gets really confusing in the novel what exactly it means, because he gets the, the the phrase wrong, and that's what sets out his, like, breakdown. Right, because um, it's the phrase that's supposed to mean, like... Million like, dollar balls. Right, million like, dollar cojones, bigger than life. Guts, uh, I'm, courage. I'm it. I'm... <laughs> I am the dude. And then what's so humiliating is he finds out that what he's actually saying in Spanish. Right, right, right. And that's why I like to keep it just... something completely different. Right. And, and, um, I, I really... And there's kind of makes, a humiliating spiral. Right, right, right. And that, then the joke sort of turns on him and yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. And that's the beauty of, uh, that's the beauty of fiction is... Uh, it can it can kind of spiral. It's almost like when you're writing fiction, you can follow where all the weirdness goes. You're just as interested as the person who later reads it when you're writing it, because you're like, "Where's this headed?" Well, tell me more about that, because you didn't know, you didn't necessarily know where things were going. Uh, I knew exactly a couple of key scenes, and I knew the twist at the end. And having written in another genre so much because this would have been after the fifth or sixth in between maybe the fifth and sixth what do you call them regular rob bell books <laughs> to shift into fiction like opened up a whole new world which now as you know i love more like can't stop writing that sort of thing but at first i was just it was all new and it was just i had a couple of things i did and i'd had that I mean, the whole book was in s sort of weirdly inspired by that strange thing that happened during my first burnout. That right. was so surreal. I was like, that's a story. You can't make that up. Right. There's a lot to talk about here because there's the book and the story. And then there's some interesting overlap between 
the fiction and what was actually happening <laughs> yeah. in your life. Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna talk about. We should talk yeah, about burnout. Ta- well, let's let's talk about burnout. But f- okay, um, I have a couple other questions about the book. Okay, and and maybe this will all intertwine. Of because, course, um, as we know it will. Yes, let's just see where it goes. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to know. Um, what was the inspiration for this book? Like, what? when did the idea spark? Uh, I remember exactly what happened. I was so cooked and depressed and overwhelmed, and I now realize it was classic burnout, which would have been 2004-ish. So we had started the church. I was probably five, I was five years in, because you can do anything for about five years, and then you just collapse. And I remember... I just didn't know if I could go on. I was so all I ever knew was, was this, you just keep, was this before Love Wins came out. Oh, six, uh, six years yeah, yeah. before that. So, so this was at the height of Marcel. Yeah, as far as people and this was like five years into energy, being the head, the head dude. There was a and, lot of momentum and excitement and right. new things and. And all I ever knew, all we ever knew was you're trying to help people, so you just help as many people as you can. And there were never, the phone never stopped ringing. There were never demands. There was never people who didn't want time and energy. And there were always sermons to give. And then there was traveling, and then we were making short films. And then we were, so I just kept adding things. And you know, my temperament, uh, in unhealth, denial is my drug of choice. Whatever you do. Just keep going and pretend like everything's fine and push, push, push. And I remember my absolute worst fear was that somebody would think I was lazy or that somebody would think I wasn't working hard enough. Coming from the the family tree I come from and the thing in my bloodstream. Right. And there's, oh. kind, of, there's kind of a Midwest Protestant work ethic, oh, too. Oh, my word. Yeah. Like and then that's, you, and then that's you combine you... that with like pastor world and then you combine that with all of these people that I wanted to impress. And we were only, we, we were like late 20s when we started. So at this point I was in my early 30s. So first half of life trying to prove your worth. All of it was like a perfect storm. Right. And Do I you... just went and went and went. That one Saturday I did three weddings and one Saturday and then woke up the next morning and gave three sermons. and just, Right, and you had two young and boys young at home family with and, a lot of energy. So even your... Downtimes were then. You right, know, if you're not giving everything you have, then you come home and you're on, just on all the time. And then it all sort of caught up with me. And I remember that one night when I sort of crashed hard. And. Yes. I thought that I, I was wondering if it was over. Were you wondering if it was over? I, I was really scared. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that there were warning signs along the way. Mm hmm. Like, this is too much, this is too much. Um, but I don't remember that really clearly. But what I do remember clearly is is the crash. Because um, I remember thinking, it's over. Mm-hmm. Like, you you had always joked about how much you love shoes. <laughs> and, and so we had had this kind of inside joke that if things didn't go well. Right, if this gig ever goes south, yeah, you're just, we'll just open up a shoe shop. Yeah, you'll design and sell shoes. From that last <laughs> scene in Spinal Tap, those outtakes where he's like, oh, well, I could have sold shoes. But I do remember thinking at that point, like, I think life as we know it 
is done. I don't mm. think Rife, Rob is ever going back to being a pastor, to <gasps> teaching. I really did. I mean, you were in bad, yeah, bad shape. Yeah, 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 I was. Um, and it's hard to put into words how shocking it is to see Rob crash because he is so positive. Wait, I'm not talking like an interviewer anymore. <laughs> <laughs> talking to <laughs> i love it no exactly you're talking to everybody's listening yeah that was kind of interesting right there i know i shifted um you should tell them exactly what you think though i mean what you were doing right there was great well you're such a positive high energy um you're really an amazing person to live with because you're positive almost all the time and fun and love you love life and you're passionate about things God, just keep going lady. Yeah. what in the world but what i'm saying is when it when it shifts yeah 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 it's really really scary because it was like your personality completely yeah. changed i remember that um you were depressed you were quiet you were um i mean at the very worst i i think you were like Laying on the floor. Yeah, I remember that. No, I remember that. At that office on Romance Street, I had like that little room. I remember I just got down on the wood floor. I was just laying there in like the fetal position. It was it was like you wanted like, to push the eject button. Absolutely. And so in order to get to the eject, you had to be like, I can't even function. I can't, I, I can't yeah. put one foot in yeah, front yeah, of the yeah. other. And I remember I didn't know who to call. Yeah. Um ended up calling a friend of ours who's a therapist and he said come in right now yeah and you drove i remember you driving me right it was almost like i was like driving you to the emergency to the room. er or something right right and i remember we sat down in his office and he said you've been pushing too hard too much for too long yep and it was just it was like burnout oh, man because it's physiological it's your, my, and then we started learning about it, like my adrenaline gland, like adrenal, your adrenal system is shot, your heart, you've given, you've just given till you have nothing, you just have nothing left to give. I was thinking about one of the first signs of burnout is when the thing that you love to do, you can't imagine doing anymore. Because it's interesting when I'm going around and doing how many people want to talk about burnout because they haven't heard anything about it and they think they might be experiencing it. And generally it's one of the first signs is when you lose your desire for the thing that was always what got you up in the morning. And it's so confusing on your brain and heart because you're like, wait, this is my work. This is my thing. This is what I'm here to do. And I have nothing to give to these people who or this work, or this craft, or this trade, or this school, or whatever it is. I have nothing. I can't imagine doing the thing that is the thing that before I couldn't imagine not doing. That's the flip that I think for a lot of people just sends them, it just makes, it just sends you into all sorts of vertigo. So it, did it take a while to recover? Oh my goodness. What do you yeah. remember about that period I of time? I remember realizing that there was a whole world of things I knew nothing about. Adrenaline, rhythm of life, boundaries and saying no, limits. 
uh, even the idea of limits to me was offensive. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, I remember thinking... I'm laughing, actually, because I sometimes think you still believe that. <laughs> there's... I just remember thinking, I don't know... There's a whole world of health and rhythm of life that I don't know anything about. And I remember that there was a process of uncovering some of the reasons why you felt oh, yeah, so yeah, right, driven. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that was, was revelatory to to go to a therapist and have him start un- helping me uncover things from way back and realize, oh, oh, that's where some of this comes from. Uh, and my observation was that lots of people, when you go in and start un- peeling back those layers, you get all these aha moments that gradually, it's like your body may be cooked, but you have to go deep in the soul and do that work because it's everything's related to everything else. Right. And all of these insights, insights about sugar and carbs are connected with insights about anger, rejection, failure, things that happened 10 years earlier. Like it's all, all of it helps you begin to get healthier. Do you think there was any part of this that was your body telling you, hey, it's time to stop? Yeah, this yeah, treadmill yeah. so that you can deal with some of your own emotional and spiritual yes. growth. It, yeah, and that was one of the one of the huge epiphanies was oh, your body's telling you the truth. Right. Your body's your friend. I remember <laughs> that uh this this uh guy who ran a nonprofit who I was surfing with over the past few years and he would tell me these stories about how stressed he was about trying to hold together all the different constituencies that he had in his organization. And then there was a whole stretch where I didn't see him in the water for a while. And then I saw him a number of months later. And I was like, hey, where have you been? And he told me about this horrific illness that he'd had. And it was so clear to me. And, and then he said it, the illness, like the, literally the, the kind of illness he got was his body sending him it was like his body going i can't do this anymore right Um, that he was internalizing all this stress and then his body was talking back to him like this this is not sustainable i think it's what lots that happens to lots of people is your body is talking to you the whole time like hey we can't keep going like this hey this is we're uh you're you're Burning it too fast. Right, and um, but your mind can override it to a point. Exactly. Yeah, that's like your ego. Your, your mind and your will can just keep pushing. Right. Until you get to that point where your body's like, nah. And I developed I'm gonna a take over switch here. where it was like showtime. All right, here we go. Super faster. Flip the switch. Welcome, everybody. Let's do this. But then every time you you reach down in, whether any time, whenever you reach way down and you just muster up the reserves to, to do it again, 
you've just extracted, you've done another withdrawal, and it it just means the crash is going to be even more intense. Yeah. So let's go back to the inspiration for the book. I know there was a, oh, that's right, a that's right. story. So I was in really bad shape, and I remember thinking, I just if I could just get away from my life, if I could just step outside of my life and see it, almost like I could see it in a lab, like I could study, if I could just get away from it and look at it objectively, I'm sure I would see a bunch of things. But now I'm in it, and the phone doesn't stop ringing, and I have to go to these meetings, and these people want things. If I could just extract myself from my own life and catch my breath, I just... What's that line in the Psalms? If I just had the wings of a bird and I could soar away. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like if I could just Mm -hmm. fly out of here. And I had heard about a retreat center a couple of hours away where you could have your own little space out in the woods and you could meet with like a spiritual director or somebody to sort of help you work through your stuff. And I remember thinking, I would give anything to go there and just sit in silence for a couple of days. <coughs> Excuse me. And Wasn't it what, like a week or two week? Yeah, there was some sort of program maybe where you'd go and you'd... And I remember just thinking, oh, it was like a release valve. Right, like, it's like, I need that. But there, But I just wasn't... I didn't understand that you have to take care of yourself. It was just, well, there's just more work that needs to be done. There's more, um, the show must go on. And then a little while later, we knew about a couple that had some serious issues and he had had some, had like a bit of a breakdown and a bunch of people sort of got around to this couple to try to help them um, because things had gotten really ugly and they all suggested that he go to this retreat center. Mm-hmm. And get some, like sort himself out, get some help. So I remember he went. I remember just hearing you and I hearing that, like, oh, so and so's checked into that. Pl-. I remember thinking, oh, that's the place. And then a little while later, I was talking to somebody and he said, hey, so and so who went to that retreat center, he came back and he told me the funniest story. Whoever it was was telling me this. They said, he said that he checked in and um, they sort of showed him what his program was going to be like and how they were going to help him do some serious work and get get some things sorted out. And they said, one of the things they did is they said, now here, uh, your assignment is we want you to listen to these. And they gave him a whole bunch of cassettes of my sermons. (laughs) And I remember the person telling me that, like, isn't that hilarious that at that retreat center, they use your sermons to help people get healthy. And I remember thinking, I remember my heart just dropped as the person was saying this, like, Dear God, what if I had gone right. there and checked in and they had handed me Because you my wouldn't sermon. have known. Yeah. <laughs> what if they had given me my sermons to listen? But I'd listen to myself. And uh, that was such an unbelievable, like, I could not stop laughing and shuddering. Like, that, you cannot make that up. That is unbelievable. And that's when the first, that's when I was like, that's a story. That's a, that's a story. That's a story. So then immediately I was like, made up this character. And then it was like, well, then I got to make up people around him. Then I got to, and then it became, what if I could write about, could I 
give, could I describe burnout from the inside? Like what it's like to just have a meltdown. That'd be interesting. And then all the, the twists and the hooks and all the weird, then from there. But that was the, that was the first idea from Yonis Cajones was, what if there was this guy who's like checked into this treatment center and he has to listen to himself? <laughs> so then that's where like the growing of the, so then the character, the growing of his beard and the gaining of a little weight, I was like, then I just have to get him so that nobody can, it's not obvious that it's him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. So the book <laughs> is actually really funny. And yeah, lots of people have said that. Which And I'm, one of the things that makes it really funny are the characters. Yeah. And I've noticed that you really love characters and names. Oh, man, yeah. So can you give us a couple examples of like a, yeah, well, like a character, their yeah, name. Yeah, well, obviously and, there's a woman named Claudia who drives a Ford F-150 with gold mud flaps and the vanity plate says Claudia Power. Um, so then, like, right away, there's a very strong African-American woman named Claudia who I just, I just love her. And then there's Rooster, who's sort of logistics. And then there's this guy who wears sandals all the time, all year round with striped socks because he had to wear boots in Vietnam. And he swore that if he ever got home, he would never wear a pair of shoes again. So all of a sudden, just all these <laughs> just weird. And there's that guy who works for the minor league baseball entertainment association. So then all that, so all those characters just start popping. Yeah, that stuff all day long, characters. Love it, love it, love it. Yeah. And I find I do that more in, now in like tour and speaking. I'll be like, and then there's Carl in a sweater vest who drives a Dodge. He loves hockey. Like, just make it up on the spot. I'll be, like, making up some character just to make a point. <laughs> well, I've noticed when you're writing, you'll often, like, share with me, like, the <laughs> yeah the name yeah, yeah. that you're most proud of. Yeah, and there's a couple people in the follow-up to this novel, and then the other novel I just finished, the character. But there's a color characters that are going to come up in the sequel to this novel. Oh, there's some a of the sequel. Call yeah, oh, yeah. There'll be a callback. There'll be a bunch of callbacks to the Millones Cajones in the follow-up to Millones, but then there's a bunch of new characters you're going to meet that are all similarly as weird. So how <laughs> much, how much of your life is in this? Oh uh, yeah, you know it's interesting how many people who read, who've read this, have been like I would, who said, man, it's like a parlor game to try to figure out what is you and what's not you. And in writing it, I I was like, you're obviously drawing. From your own experiences. You're always obviously drawing, and then I'm also intentionally throwing you off. So in case you're like, well, this is just his, well, apparently not that part. So yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, we've learned a lot from Bob Dylan here. Just let, you know, the wonder is part of the fun. Right. It's, it was fun for me to read it because I could see what experiences we had had that you had drawn from, like, for example, being in Costa Rica. Yeah. And then um, I think it's Rooster who goes to Costa Rica. And there's yeah, some yeah, yeah. Surfing stories. And <laughs> so I could see little parts where you got ideas from actual life yes. experiences. Places you and I had been. And then... Um, the main character is a motivational speaker instead of a pastor, and there's a lot of parallels there. Um, 
Yeah. But it's to, also but it's also fiction. Like I it's totally. very it's very interesting how your life is sprinkled in there and your experiences. And then at the same time it's it's totally fiction. Yeah, it's interesting if you put something like two clicks away. Um you just move it over two clicks away, then there's a freedom that opens up to write about. Or sometimes if a man tries to write from a woman's perspective or a woman tries to write from a man's perspective, there's something about that that just gives you a click of freedom. Um, it, like it, it, it opens up some new way of expressing yourself that's very, very interesting. <laughs> All right, so let's go. Let's go back. I love this. I love you th- talking about this because you like believed in this from early on. And it's just so interesting to me. Your because people often ask. I've noticed how many people are are like partners are trying to keep something together, and they're like, "What do you do?" And the person that you're with isn't on the same journey, or how do you like? You're seeing all these new things, but. Maybe your partner is more inclined towards safety and security of the old thing. Um, it's always interesting to me because you were always out ahead. I feel wow. like in, I feel like we've we've sort of pulled and pushed and I don't even think about that. It's like we've danced together. I don't even think about it as like pulling each other or pushing each other. I think about it like we've just been dancing together. But there's this is a classic case of something where you saw it. I like made it and was like, I really enjoyed that. But you were like, no, put this out. People will enjoy this. That's That was you as much as, that yes. was your sort of. In- and I, I mean, it's just, that's just based on like my personal enjoyment of it. I think it's a great, <laughs> I really do. I think it's a great book and I think, I think other people will really like it. Good. And um, yeah, it just seemed like something that needed to be made. Yeah. That it that it wasn't right for it just to sit on your computer, and I think that's why you released it for free two years ago. Yeah, um, it's more fun to me just to make it and share, just make things and share them. Yeah, here's here it is, everybody. Here, enjoy. <laughs> right, but there's still something about turning it into a book that makes it feel more solid. Absolutely, absolutely. This, this now is something that will live forever. Absolutely. Yeah, so true. So true, even as things get more virtual and digital, holding something in your hand, the actual turning of pages, um, I think it's always going to be there because there's something about that, the tactile thing. As things get more sort of on your screen, I think things you can actually hold are going to become more desired down the road. Yes. And I think that you you have said that you often get questions about burnout. Yeah, be, it's, yeah, because the modern... I mean, everything's a sine wave. Inhale, exhale, day, night, summer, fall, winter, spring. Mm-hmm. Sine wave is like built in to the very fabric of creation. Right. Um and the Eucharist mystery of the body broken and the blood poured out. You give yourself to the healing of the world. You give yourself to doing your work, to giving your good gift. Then there has to be a corresponding season when the body's put back together and the blood's poured back in. Um, 
and I've I've observed, and and so like you and I started practicing as we started to realize, oh, we don't know anything about taking care of ourselves. Right. Uh, we started practicing Sabbath. So Friday, we turned the computers off at the end of the day, and we would spend Saturday doing whatever we wanted. We'd float around. Right, which actually sounds really nice. And, it oh, is, and, and at this point in our lives, first. it is really nice. Yeah. Like, I love Friday nights when we go to sleep, knowing that the next day is just yeah. Yeah. whatever we want to do. There yeah. are no, There are no shoulds. There are no lists. Oh, nice. No shoulds. Yeah. There's, there's just like, follow the inspiration. Right. To this day, when I turn my computer off on Friday afternoon, I have a, a deep, sustained physiological response. Yes. Like the whole thing just goes, whew. You yes. can turn off, uh, you do it well. Thank you. Well, I... To what do you, do you attribute noticed, that to? I've noticed, well, it took some learning. Like it, it was kind of like building a muscle in the beginning mm-hmm. because I, in the beginning when we would try having a whole day without the lists and the shoulds and the running and mm-hmm. the taking care of things, um, there was a weird kind of depression that set Absolutely. in. A, a fatigue, a depression, a like, it almost felt like a drug. It almost felt like a drug withdrawal. Yeah. Absolutely. Like we had been going and um, I don't know how to describe it, but it was like life just kept giving us these hits. It's the high of the blue dot. Like when you get a new text and there's a blue dot that tells uh-huh. you you have new texts and you look down at your phone and you're like, ooh, um, it's like a hit. And then you have a phone call, hit, new emails. You're like both bummed. Oh, crap, I have more emails. But you're also like, oh. Somebody was thinking of me. I'm still in the game. And so all week long, you're getting these little hits that keep you, they spike you. They keep you, then you go to Instagram. Oh, wow. Interesting. Like you just get these little hits. Um, And then if you remove all that stimulus. Right. And just let your body be. Your body's like, what are you doing to me? Right. It like panics. Right. I I think it was, it was. I mean, in the beginning, it kind of felt like a discipline. Yeah, yeah. At the beginning, it was not fun. It, it was, um, there was a, like, a depression. A, it felt like discipline. It felt, but, but I think we had such a belief in we've got to change the way we live. Yes. Um, I, remember, I remember one afternoon. It was a Saturday afternoon. It was like early afternoon. And we were in like this weird funk like just a low grade dis- depression and some friends came over and they were like, Hey, right, what's going high on? Energy. Let's do, let's do something. And we were like, get these people out <laughs> of here. Um, you're right. I mean, this feels like another lifetime ago. This would have been 12 years ago, but at first learning to turn it off. You're right. It was, it was not fun. It was like, but what's interesting now is that it becomes like a habit. Like I know you've, you've talked about there is the like six in one rhythm all in all sorts of things from zoo, yeah. zoo animals. Yeah. Um, they've, I mean, you explain it better than me, but can you? Oh yeah, yeah, that's the, right. The because I remember around the, around the time that you and I were, I was melting down. I remember I came across some article somewhere. And I even know I have no idea if this is substantiated or there's research that 
Some people who owned a zoo were saying that if the animals were left out more than six days for public display, they would demonstrate adverse behaviors. So there was some sort of six-in-one rhythm built into the animal kingdom. And I don't know if that's corroborated. I don't know the legitimacy of that claim, but I remember it just struck like a, oh, I've had no rhythm to my life. It was just go, 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 go. And that rhythm is actually built into, I mean, we know from the seasons, from the sine wave, from breathing, like rhythm is built into the whole thing and I've been living without rhythm. My life is a bad song. <laughs> um, and you and I, I remember that, like treat one day different than the others. And I remember you specifically saying, having that discussion, like, well, what would make one day different than others? And you were like, well, if I didn't have to-do lists. Like, I remember for me it was, well, if I wasn't making things. Okay, well, let's try that. Let's try having a day that's not like the other. It was that almost like that simple. And I remember we also intuitively discussed, this is not about rules or about what you can't do, because that's just a, a new form of enslavement. This is about practicing a human flourishing because you've enacted rhythms in your life. That's, I remember us talking about that at great length. Right, and I, I think, when people talk about doing a silent retreat or a meditation retreat, I think the same kind of, uh, at least things I've read and things I've heard, the same kind of thing happens. Absolutely. Like when you take away all the stimulus, at first you're like, oh, this sucks. Yeah, I'm right. so like <laughs> depressed and bored. And, and, and But when you, when you get through that. Right. You have to there, push through. When you push through, there is yeah. something on the other side that is has been essential for us. Be I mean, would you say that learning how to turn off one day a week and enjoy and just be in a different mode of being, would you say that that is one of the most important changes it, that ever happened? Oh, and it's fascinating because in the ancient tradition, they talk about your levels of creativity and energy and stuff just go through the roof. But it's, and then it leaks over in the other days. <clears throat> you, you practice a day being fully present and then it calls out the insanity yes. of the busyness of the other days. So, so in some ways for you and I over the past 12 years, you start practicing one day and then it starts calling out the ridiculousness of the other days. So then the other days just naturally... Right. You start going, I don't really feel like being insanely busy all the time. You know? And Right, which is also that muscle because then you also you learn how to use it in other other times. Yes, right. Right. Like right. you start to feel like things are getting I don't know, too out of control. Yeah, you and I talked about spinning. Right. And so we're like, yeah. okay. Time to, are spinning. time to turn it off. Yeah, yeah. And then you meet people who say, we're so busy, you know, it's so crazy. We're just so busy. You know how it is. And you and I will be like, no, we don't know how it is. <laughs> right. No. You don't have to that Because that sort way. of normal disease of everybody's so busy, you know, everybody's so busy. Why? Yeah. You, you find yourself challenging conventional wisdom, like this inner punk arises that's like, no, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be one more person who says, oh, we really should have you over sometime. Um. Yeah, I think one of the things that practicing that one day does for you is it teaches you that you do have a choice. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you can, I mean, you can walk away. 
<laughs> which I know that you've worked with a yeah. lot of people on that. Yeah. Like helping them see you're not trapped. Um, yes, correct. Now there are there are responsibilities and uh, we had kids at the time. You're not walking away from oh, yeah, there are, your responsibilities. The um, yeah. There's all sorts of things that you know people carry, but we also have more choice than we realize. Yes, and that's the key. Because a lot of people go to, well, you don't understand what my life is like. And I go, mm-hmm. hold on. Can you make one small step mm-hmm. to live with more rhythm? Right. Is there one thing that you are involved in that you can let go of to create a little space? Which I think is what one day a week is. It's like, can can you give one day? Do you mm. think like... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just just one day where you feel like you turn it off. Yeah. That change, man, for you and I, it seems like another lifetime. I know it does. But because uh, now it's interesting, the move from new to normal is at first something's it's just new and you're like, what is this? It's hard or you're having to push through or you're having this like whatever sugar drop where it's Saturday afternoon and you're like lower than low. But then... You begin to practice it, and then it's even now when you've asked that first question a minute or two ago, I was like, it's like I've forgotten what life was like pre-living with some rhythm. And what what was the the book that really helped you with this that you... Um... Um, the Actually, the, the first book, well, it's interesting because that's in the novel. Right. Um, Heschel, Abraham Heschel's book on Sabbath which is very hard read. It's a very thin book, but it's very dense. And he talks about time and space and the relationship thereof. And it, it's, you ha- it's a really thick, it's a dense read. And I remember thinking, wow, if in Millones Cajones I could have one of the characters be given this book, and be like, this is just, what is this? Mm-hmm. this is, what is this? And then have another character sort of interpret it or make it accessible. So there'd be like a book within the book. Because um, like a lot of people probably aren't going to read this book, but I wonder if I could popularize, if I could introduce people to the book through the characters, which is always risky in writing to introduce a book within a book. That's actually a real book within a fake book within a right a nonfiction within a fiction right. Um, but the concepts. I mean, what Heschel says is just it's too necessary and new, too profound. And I would argue it's so absolutely needed now more than ever because so many people are plugged in all the time, and it's and it's just killing them. Right. What do you think we're losing by being plugged in all the time? Everything becomes a flat line, and you lose the dynamic punch of the up and the down, the in and the out. Mm-hmm. So you think about right now in Iowa, you can get tomatoes at 2 a.m. at a 24-hour grocery store. Mm-hmm. So where were the tomatoes grown? Were the tomatoes in season? Uh, I don't know, but at 2 a.m., I can go into a 24-hour grocery store uh Tile floor, fluorescent lights, so it'll be as bright as day inside, but it's fake light. So I can be out in the middle of the night, 
Um, I can buy food, and I don't even know who grew it or whether it's the right season or not. Um, I can live divorced from the seasons and from growing seasons. Um, I can be asleep during the day and I can be awake at night. They've done all these, there's all this research about with the invention of electricity, people started sleeping less because prior to the invention of electricity, when the sun rose, it was basically like all of creation saying to you, hey, right. the day's starting. And then when the sun went down, it was like, hey, it's dark, just a little nudge here, time to go to sleep. And then with the invention of electricity and you could make your own light, then people, you could then afford to live out of whack with what all of creation is doing around you. Uh, right, and you can override your body signals. Yes, exactly. Like your body may be telling you, hey, it's time to go to bed early. Just <laughs> right. put on your pajamas. And you're like, no, but I have all these things to do. Right, and a bright screen in front of me that's lighting up, stimulating my eyes. So what's happened more and more and more is more and more people um, go months and months without their bare feet on soil. Mm-hmm. Even touching the earth with your feet becomes more and more a rare occurrence for people. Um, and as as the modern world, as, as you can live cut off, in, in many places you can live half the year breathing all your air th- that's been cooled through a machine, and the other half breathing air that's been heated through a machine. Um, so even your air has been run through machines. You're it's possible to become more and more disconnected from the creation around us and the rhythms that are inherent within that creation. And it actually, it crushes us. Right. It seems like it also cuts us off from the depth of life. Yeah. Like I know one of the things when people do a silent retreat or a meditation retreat, they, they start talking about like when they're eating their food in silence. Yeah. They're like tasting the food. Yeah. <laughs> They're like really like, it's like your senses get turned on, whether it's feeling the sunshine on your skin or tasting mm-hmm. a tomato that's just exactly ripe or, or really soaking in the deliciousness of your children. Yeah. It, and it seems like when we're, when we're plugged in and our mind is going in so many different directions, those are the things we miss. Yes. And everybody I've ever, who has ever, I've encountered them asking questions about burnout or struggling with this. One of the first things to go is, uh, maybe I said differently, your sensory experience becomes diminished. So food doesn't, stimulate your taste buds like it did. Everything gets flatter. Um, right. It goes from vibrant colors to more muted tones. Music doesn't have the same... Right, it doesn't move you. ...punch yeah. and the same embrace and the same lure and intoxication. You, it's, uh, and I was thinking people who are listening to this episode, you know you're flirting with burnout when what once turned you on and lit you up and made you think, ah, it's good to be alive. Um, it's like you're trying to hug someone in a hazmat suit. Well, and what's interesting is usually our response when things are feeling flat 
is that we go for more stimulation instead of less. Oh, exactly. I guess I just need a Red Bull. Um. Right. Or I need to like, you know, watch something or, or go experience something exciting. It's or like to put the paddles on the chest and like jumpstart things when it's, no, you're exhausted and your system's fried. And so it's using all of its reserves just to get through the day. It doesn't have a lot of energy left over to f- experience the depth. Right. But I think it even happens when we're not in that place of burnout. I, th- I think it's just a normal mm. part of our, our modern world where we're so stimulated yeah. is you just get going and you're not feeling very satisfied. So you think you want more of the same instead of quieting your mind, quieting your body, being present, um, listening instead of talking. I um, am in awe of your meditation practice and how you can be still. And every day I observe you doing a daily practice. Um, and you don't talk about being monkey-minded. You don't talk about being distracted. Like, that works for you. Because you'll you'll come out of... You'll finish your meditation, and you'll be, like, fine. Well, I'm actually playing with meditation right now. <laughs> because I believe that... If in order to make something a part of your life, you really have to, you either have to like really, really want it, like we did with Sabbath, or it has to be enjoyable and you see the benefits. You're either in crisis or it's just pleasurable. Right. And so I've been kind of playing around with how do you make meditation pleasurable? Because sometimes it's not, like when you're dealing with your monkey mind. But if you can get past, if you can just kind of ride through that and you can bring it all down, it's amazing. And so a lot of times I do, like I listen to meditations. I find them on YouTube. I do um, yoga nidra, which is like a a yoga where you're laying down. It's the best. <laughs> the whole thing is corpse pose. I love it. Um and you're just guided through, like, just bringing it all down and being present and finding those little gaps between the thoughts. That's what helped me is one time I heard it's not about stopping your thoughts. It's about finding those delicious little spots Descri- say between more about the that. thoughts. Delicious little spots. I love it. <laughs> what did... What do, Oh, because normally there's a chatter in your brain. Yeah. It's just our, nonstop rapid fire. Right. Our minds are so busy. Like they're just, they're solving problems. They're thinking about the future. They're Ruminating about on the this, past. stressing about that. Yeah. Um, it's. Um, so for you, it's not about. Sometimes I actually laugh at my mind. And I, I do kind <laughs> of the, the thing that Liz Gilbert does with fear. Like. Like, I know I'm not going to get rid of you, but can you just, when we're riding in the car, can you ride in the back seat? I'm going to drive. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Fear, you get in the back seat. I know I can never quite get rid of you. And I, I feel that way about the mind. 
it's like we're never going to get rid of it. But meditation is, is something we practice to try to put it in the backseat and realize that there is this presence, our, yeah. who we really are, our presence, we're not our mind. And our mind serves us, and we don't, we don't want it out of the car. We, we need our mind. It, it, we need it, but sometimes it just needs to be quieted. So when you're meditating, tell me about the gap. The gap is when well, one I, thought doesn't immediately get followed by another, but there's like space. Is that how you describe well, it? I mean, when you're meditating, you will get thoughts. And they say what you do is you just, you just let them go. You just have this like non-judgmental acceptance and just let it go. And sometimes after you let it go, before the next one comes in, there's like a little, a little space of non-thought. There's a little feeling of presence. And I think That's I think good. people who really sure. kind of master this, they're able to, you know, extend that period of time of non-thought. Yeah. You begin to en- enter into the emptiness and all is still. But I, I do think it's easier... If we play, if we have a playful. Yeah, because a lot of people realize, oh, I'm out of control. I've been sucked into the vortex of the modern world. I'm too busy. I'm, I'm too connected to my phone. I gotta like now start making space to be healthy, whole, meditation, quiet, whatever. And then it becomes just another task. Right. That, that I hear a lot of people beating themselves up over. Like I intended to start a meditation practice and I'm not doing very well at it or I like. Yeah. And just you and I've never seen it like that. I, that's funny when you talk about playing at it because you and I've never seen this stuff as like, we've just always seen it as discovery and play and exploration. And I wonder if this will bring more life and pleasure and guidance. Yeah, I wonder and I if this will fill me up. I wonder if this. I think that's even what we were saying about when you start adding a day of rest into your week, when you start yeah. looking at what would it be like to have a Sabbath day in my week, um, you ca- you can't be rigid about it because then you're missing the point. Yeah. Um, so you like, there's lot, I remember lots of times in the beginning, we were trying to figure out what makes this day special. And we would, do something in that day, and then we'd come home and be like, you know what? That didn't fit. <laughs> <laughs> you're endlessly, right, you're endlessly e- experimenting. I mean, I, I love the line where uh, Jesus says, the man wasn't made for Sabbath, Sabbath. People weren't made for Sabbath, Sabbath was made for people, um, which was, this is a gift. All practice, all ritual uh, is a gift, to make your life more full and beautiful and great, essentially. Right. And in the moment you are trying to cram yourself in to the form, the ritual, the meditation, beating yourself up because you didn't somehow measure up to something, you've got it upside down. Right. Uh, Well, and I even wonder, I mean, when we first started practicing and we're talking about some of the depression and boredom that we would feel, (laughs) 
Um, I wonder if we went back and did it again, if we would do it a little differently, if we would be Absolutely. even more playful about it. Absolutely. We were, we were a little bit more serious back then. <laughs> um, yeah, and we were all, yeah. But I also, I also think things had been going so fast and there was all this emotional stuff mm-hmm. that we didn't have space to deal with. And so when we were quiet and gave it some space there was like emotional stuff yeah Yeah. that needed to be absolutely talked out written out um investigated yeah i remember as we were spent we were more fully present on saturdays i would have these experiences of realizing that during the week something had broken, like a mm-hmm. like conflict, um, some difficult encounter with somebody, some stressful situation, and because it was moving so fast, you just go to the next meeting. You have a four thirty meeting, then you have a five thirty meeting. So that thing just made your blood boil. But then you had to get in the car and go meet this person there to do this. And so all this stuff builds up that hasn't been processed. It's just in your tank or something. And then on Saturday, it would be quiet. And these things would begin to rise up. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember I, I would become aware of some conversation on a Tuesday that had made me angry, bewildered vengeful, whatever it was, um, filled me with despair. And it would like, I had, it had just been sitting there all week because you have to go to the next thing. And I remember realizing, oh, if you don't have a prac, if you don't let this stuff out somehow, then it's in there and it will affect you in all sorts of ways. And I would find myself saying these prayers, like, please take what was torn and mend it Please take what was broken and fix it. Please take what got pulled apart, put it back together. That was all part of it. Isn't that interesting to talk about this years later? It is. Because now I see you like Friday night. You got home and I remember you were like drinking. uh, You'd opened a bottle of wine. And we had talked about this podcast for a minute. And you were like drinking the glass of wine. You were like, Oh, yeah, I can turn it off now. <laughs> Remember, you were just talking about how the, the move from the week into Sabbath, you can just do now. Right. There, there I is can a flip little the switch bit. And turn off that mode yeah, and turn that, on this that mode. That reminds me, there is a little bit of a, a habit that you get into when you know that Saturday you're not going to get anything done, it's just going to be enjoyable. You try to squeeze it all in on Friday, <laughs> which is okay, yeah. as oh, long yeah. as you don't make yourself crazy. But um, oh yeah, and and in the ancient tradition, preparation for Sabbath was a big deal. You're going to welcome her, the spirit of Sabbath, in. So prep. So if you're going to spend a day unlike the others, then you're going to need to have thought ahead. So then the week becomes this like anticipation of the day that is not like the other days. And I love that, that you find this 
oh, then then you need to run those errands ahead of time. Right. Because for me, it actually does feel really good to have things wrapped up. Yes. All the, all the loose ends wrapped yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. And then you move into a day where you can just stop thinking about all yeah, of yeah, those yeah. things that you're working on. And they talk about the first day of the week is like the, the, you know, it's the first day of the new creation. So you've literally wrapped up one creation and now there's going to be a new creation. And it's that marking of things that is so lacking for so many people because the whole thing is just a straight shot. It's just pure madness all the way out and not almost like we give birth to something and then we set it down and then there's a space and then the next thing comes in. Right. You can even begin to see the calendar much more. It's almost like a conducting music. Right. And it's not about being productive, but we are so much more productive when we live in the flow of things. Think about you and I, think about how much more productive we are in a fraction of the time and a fraction of the energy. It's true. (laughs) It's unbelievable. It's true. It's unbelievable. When you come into things rested, centered, present, energy, it would have taken you 10 hours to do that thing because you're all over the place and now it takes you 17 minutes. Yeah, I mean, talk, it's that talk a little dramatic. bit about how it affects that you dramatic. creatively. Because when, uh, especially when you're flirting with burnout, but when you're weary and fatigued, when your Eucharist rhythm is out of whack, then you're sitting in a meeting and... These two over here, Carol and Bob, are arguing about the third quarter numbers. And they're discussing, well, next week we're going to get them back. And is it going to be this? Is it going to be that? And you just let them discuss it for 11 minutes. But when you're present and you're tuned in and you're fresh and you're vital, you stop them in the first minute. And you go, hold on, Carol and Bob. Next week we're going to get the numbers. There's nothing to talk about until then. When we get the numbers back, then we'll have the discussion. So you're saying you have more clarity. You have all this clarity and spinal fortitude because you're not weary. And so all these things that you would just go interminably go on and on and on, you just stop them and you go, that's not helpful. Or you ruminate endlessly on something when the truth is when you're fresh and when you've sat in silence and you've come out of the intuitive space of silence, you just know the answer. And then you say, it's green, not blue. And you move on. And when you're flirting with burnout and when you're weary, you discuss it and you ask people's opinion and you think about it some more and you lay awake, tossing and turning about the stress of it. Then you call another person, what do you think? And, And you burn up all of this energy. And it's funny, you asking these questions, you saying what you were just saying, and these questions, my Sabbath, it's like it clears out your mind. Mm. So then when you're doing, later when you are doing your work, the only thing in front of you is the work. Oh, this is the thing I'm working on. So do you feel like the ideas come faster? A thousand times faster. A thousand times faster. And has this been a progression over time? Yeah. 
like since this burnout that we were talking about until now, has it just been a progression yeah. of and you keep learning how yeah to live in the flow, learning how to yeah. expend less energy on things you don't need to expend energy on. Absolutely, increasing your clarity because it seems like when you're when your mind is clear, when you're like you said, you're all kind mm-hmm. of cleared out after a Sabbath. Is that when the ideas come? Uh, they come all the time, but I don't even. But is I that no? Is that different than ten years ago? Uh, yeah, ten years ago, the nature of creative work is you're there's a baseline fear that the well's going to dry up. And nothing dr- well nothing dries the well up faster than worrying that the well is going to dry up. Right. So the answer is not to crimp the hose or to try and f- fill it all up in a bucket. The answer is to go even farther into the depth and the silence and the sabbath and the rest. To be in the kind of state absolutely where the ideas can come. Yes, and then they just they they just never stop coming, and then you're just there and you're receptive and you take some notes and at least from for me then the, there's a tour there's another novel there's a screenplay there's a Largo show there's another Robcast episode look there's another Robcast episode yeah. <laughs> Very so what do you do now when you're working on something and it's you don't feel like you're in the flow? Oh goodness, we just then there's no pressure. We just set it aside. Come back to it. We'll see what it is. I have things I've been living with for a decade that just it's not the right time. There's a the uh the Holy Shift tour, which I guess starts in like two months. There's a number of stories that I'll tell of things that happened to me in that tour that happened. Like, there's a story from 2000. Uh, there's a story, for, I think, from 2001. That all that, so that, that will be 18 years I've been carrying that story around. And it's, it's not in any book. It's not in any Robcast episode. I've never talked about it. So you just have stuff where it just didn't... You know what I mean? Where you... It's such a good story. I should have used it. Nah. It's time will come. So I've noticed you just become way more patient. Because it'll all be there when you need it. Right. Well, even with this novel, <laughs> you wrote this oh, a long. Yeah. You wrote this a long time right, ago, right. and now we are holding it in our hands. Right. 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 Like seven or eight years in the works, and now there's like a hardcover book. It's just. And it's it just, feels right. Like everything about yeah. this feels right. Yeah. Yeah. That interesting. And I, I would say that's the number one thing for you and I. We don't do anything. If it doesn't, if it isn't airtight integrity, if it doesn't feel, if it's not right all the way across the board. We, like if it wobbles even slightly, you and I are like, no, we just walk away. Nope. It's not the right time. If it's not the, doesn't feel right. The energy isn't right. If the, whatever, whoever it is, we're, if the, if that isn't, we have no time for things that aren't absolutely locked in on what's the best possible thing to do here. And I think that comes out of Sabbath, is you begin to practice the presence and the grace, and then other things are just like, why would I ever do that? Yeah, I was thinking about that, how closely, I mean, or maybe they are actually the same thing, 
how Sabbath and grace. Yeah. And that there's something about Sabbath that also opens you up to grace. That it is, it's all just goodness. You take one day a week to remind yourself that you're a human being, not a human doing. You take one day a week to remind yourself that your worth and value does not come from how many bricks you produce. Take one day a week to remind yourself that all the work is done, even if it isn't. Take one day a week to remind yourself that it's all a gift, and the only thing left to do is receive. <laughs> like that. And one day a week to remind yourself yeah. that you are good enough just as you are. Right, right. There's, you take a day a week to remind yourself that there's no one left to impress, that this isn't a job interview, that there is no test. Oh, I was <laughs> just about, about to that? say that. Yes. Yeah. There is no test. Yeah. The, um, yeah. All this does something to you over time. It, it shapes you. That's interesting. All these, revisiting all this, how many things in our life have come from a long time ago being like, this isn't working. We have to think of a whole new thing. And then discovering there was this ancient way of thinking about it. Um, you should have some rhythm in your life. And how many things have come our way just because of that? You know what I mean? Yes. This one way of seeing things. Add some groove, add some rhythm to your week. Right, and, and, and also then there's a... all li- these other things will ripple from there. Well, there's a little bit of a lightening up, like loosening your Absolutely. grip. Absolutely. Absolutely. Don't, and, don't... And in the ancient tradition... All of the arguments about, well, you'll, you'll lose business, you'll lose production, you'll lose... All the ancient writers were like, yeah. Maybe. Yeah, because you're playing a different game. Of course, of course that might be the risk, but you're playing a different game in which you will be taken care of a thousand times over in all sorts of other ways. Like, they don't even blink at some of that, like, well, no, I gotta, I gotta go seven days hard, that's just how it is. Well, you'll be a shell of a person in a couple of years, as opposed to an entire life of vibrant work and joyous outflow that comes from respecting the rhythms that are built into your body, your heart, your soul, your breathing, and all of creation. Yeah, that's what we've learned. Yes. Yep. That's great. Well, well I'm telling you, cojones. Millones cojones. Where can people the find this The limited edition hardcover, much anticipated <laughs> <laughs> debut novel. <laughs> Where can people find this book? Robbell.com. All that. Yeah. All sorts of good things coming on. Joseph is at Largo Show the 19th of December with Joseph is going to play. And I'm going to do my Chris, a Christmas sermon. It's going to be unbelievable. I know, that's going to be so much fun. And then the uh, tickets are up for the next year's tour, which with uh, the Holy Shift tour with special opening guest Peter Rollins. That's going to be such good times. Right there. Come on, you're smiling at that. We got good things cooking, don't yeah, we? Yeah, you're having a lot of fun. We're, we're having a lot of fun. <laughs> we're having a lot of fun, aren't we? Okay, I love it when you take over. I know that people are going to hear this episode and be like, ah, just, you know, Rob, just be quiet. Just let Kristen talk. <laughs> but uh, thank you. Um, I love that you had this idea. Yeah. It's a great one. You have great ideas. Oh, thank you. Man, this was like going back. This was like 
I know it is a little. Hits. It is a little it strange to try to remember what our life was like. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But that's yeah. really where the the birth of this novel came from. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It, right. It's funny how it's a fun. It, the whole. It's funny. It's like light and funny and weird, and it has all these weird parts to it, and yet it actually comes out of some pain. Yeah. I mean, that was dark. <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh, maybe I'll never get to give another sermon again. I mean, I distinctly remember you and I discussing that. Is it over? No, I thought it was over. Right. I wondered if you had, yeah. like, I don't know, fried, fried your brain yeah, or I something. Yeah, I had the same thought. I wondered if I cooked things. Yeah. I think that's why um, I love the work so much. It's because I have f- faced the possibility that I wouldn't get to do it. So I take this, even the Robcast episodes, it's such a like a joy. I'm so grateful that I get to do this work. You really do love it. Yeah, yeah. But, I, but, it's, but it's so interesting how it's so directly tied to experiences of such exhaustion that it was like you might not get to do well this it seemed like you've you've always loved this work like it's yeah, it's yeah. been in you since i've yeah. known you yeah this if it wasn't killing me i loved it yeah uh communicating connecting mm-hmm. about the deepest things of life mm-hmm. but it seems like the burnout it kind of shifted. It, it didn't change your love of the work and it didn't really change the work, but it kind yeah. of shifted where it came from. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember when um, that one night when it was the worst and we went to the therapist and he's like, I'm going to give you a little Xanax to take the edge off. And I remember being like, I, I'm not a guy who needs Xanax to take the edge. Apparently, I'm now a guy who needs Xanax to take the edge off. <laughs> I, I remember that. I don't remember breaking. the taking edge off, but I remember him saying, "I think you need this for a, a short period of time until yeah. we can start uncovering." Right to give you some, at least a little respite in order to. But I remember that broken like, I need help. Yeah, I'm I'm on my own. I am. My life is unmanageable, so I'm open. Do you think that helped you connect to some deeper, yeah. higher power in yeah, a new way? Absolutely. Because you came to the end of yourself. Oh, uh, man, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That makes me, like, emotional thinking about it. I think that's where all the... That's where all the... It feels like all the great stuff gets birthed out of that sort of thing. You crash into the wall and you come to the end of yourself and yeah. And then you find out there's something so much better. Yeah, that's when higher power kicks in and you get carried along and still getting carried along. Yeah. <laughs> Man, it's so true. All right, is it time to... Uh... We're going <laughs> to check out. Yes. What, what's the end of a podcast uh, that you sign off oh, or you, you tell, check out or you, you, uh, you say grace and peace to all them. Grace and peace.
Uh, awesome. <laughs>